Greetings, super friends. Welcome to Superman and Lois and Pals. I'm Henry Bernstein, and alongside me is my favorite super pal, Professor Sam Brody. So, Sam, uh, you just finished this episode minutes ago, which minutes ago. I'm, I'm really into this sort of new version, this version of our of our of our conversation of our podcast, where it's an immediate reaction. Um, I too have a mo- have a somewhat immediate reaction. You know, lately this season, I've been so gung-ho and obsessed with the show that i've been you know trying to see it on tuesday night shortly after it airs that i can then watch it again on wednesday to prep for the show so last night i didn't get a chance to watch it so i too watched it today the reason why i didn't get a chance to watch it is because i went and saw a sneak preview of the batman in imax and i i thought it was out so last night there was like a there was like a select theaters sneak peek thing um so people did see it uh i was one of them theater was packed and so without giving any spoilers or anything like that and not get this is a superman podcast i just want to say it was really good i really enjoyed it obviously there are plot writing nitpicky things in it and what i will say about it is that whereas i said this i had said to many people, including the person with whom I saw it last night, uh, former guest host Daniel Warshawski from season one. Um, I, I said to him, I'm looking forward to it, but I find this movie completely unnecessary. And, and you and I talked a little bit offline about how like anytime we hear the words dark and gritty and real, you kind of cringe a little bit because it's like, it's not 1985 and it's not like The Dark Knight Returns just came out. Like, we've been having dark, mm-hmm. gritty and real for 30, 40 years, right? Right. <laughs> so I was like, I don't need this this movie. I don't need another dark, real, gritty thing. Having said that, actually, this this film felt more like reading a graphic novel than the Nolan movies did. That that Those movies felt, and I'm saying that as a compliment, um, so mm-hmm. just, to, I, I liked it. It was good. Um, so if you get a chance to the theater, it was like a very cool cinematic experience. I, the, the three hours were fine. I mean, I lo- looked at my watch once when I just got a feeling like, hey, is this the third act? And sure enough, there were 40 mm-hmm. minutes left, but mm-hmm. I, I will say it was like, and whereas it differed from other recent superhero movie experiences in the theater, there was no hooting and hollering. Like hmm. people sat down, what had this communal experience of watching a good film together and then applauded at the end, like in polite okay. applause. So that was also a interesting experience. So that's all okay. I wanted to say about that. <laughs> I heard it was um, something I heard that was interesting that I didn't, I didn't read much about this, you know, when they were making it. So I don't have like a lot of anticipatory things. But something I read this week is that it's sort of very, very loosely kind of drawing on the long Halloween, which is one of my favorite uh, Batman self-contained comics. Um, I don't expect that. And I understand that they meant the person who said this did mean very loosely, like the, the killer is not holiday and it's not following the calendar and so on. But I understand what they meant to be more sort of in a spiritual kind of sense. Um, which made me look forward to it more, if that's true, because I also I, um, they, they just made the animated movie of the Long Halloween, which I thought was pretty good. It was, it was like I kind of like that art style, whatever. This is something else, but fine. So um, I'm less kind of 
begrudgingly gonna see it now and more uh, yeah kind of like yeah I'll see I, it. I sort of yeah I, I would say like d- you there is no need to feel begrudging about it like yes we don't need another batman movie when we still don't i mean i know we're talking about a superman tv show and that's in many ways even mm-hmm. more amazing than it's another superman movie but like even though that's frustrating it and it, it, it it's not necessary it was good and i'm looking forward to this the next one like it, it was a good movie mm-hmm. matt reeves can make a movie all the cast was was very good there's no yeah there's no need to feel begrudging about it it was just a good movie and yeah, and I would I would recommend seeing it in the theater if you're comfortable with that. Like it's it, it is a fun, especially in IMAX. Like it's it's loud and it's big, and there's lots of Batman-y things in it, and done appropriately. And it felt like um, I, I I definitely know what that re- that re- reviewer was talking about about Long Halloween. It felt like there were it drew on many different Batman famous Batman stories in not a cheesy way. And it also was influenced by other things. Like there are some shots that are like straight from the dark Knight, which I think is okay. I think it's okay. Like, you know, yeah. I mean, if Superman returns can do that about the original Superman movies. Right. right. I mean, yeah, the Russo brothers have have said like they, they've done things exactly like, you know, Richard Donner did, you know? And so as we've talked about many times, I think it's always been one of our favorite things about the Superman shows that they constantly Mm -hmm. like, you know, I think that the fact to segue the fact that they cast, you know, Helen Slater uh, to play Supergirl's mom in the Supergirl TV show, and the fact that Christopher Reeve was actually on Smallville, right? And the fact that like uh, all of these things, and like Terry Hatcher was on Supergirl too, and like I love that they do that stuff. Um, it's nice. That was a. I'm sorry. That was a masterful segue. <laughs> like, there's no reason yeah. to go back. We are done with the Batman topic. There's no reason. <laughs> I, you know, I, that was perfectly done. I I know I'm breaking the fourth wall by referring to the nice segue, and it ruins the segue by referring to the segue. But that was an excellent segue. Yeah, well, of Take a bow. Um, have a drink, a drink of your whiskey. That was good. Yeah. So speaking of Supergirl. You finally finished the the season. Mm-hmm. Mercifully finished the season. Ugh, yeah, woof. what a what a piece of homework that was, huh? Yeah, uh, it was really rough. Would you rather grade papers or finish the Supergirl series? <laughs> it's funny because like earlier seasons, I like really looked forward to yeah, watching it. I know. You know, it was like a it was always cheesy and like goofy, but I liked it. And this season was just like. It was a slog. Um, yeah. What did you just overall the finale? No, not the whole season. We'll get that in a minute. What did you think of the finale? How they ended Supergirl the show? So the finale to me did a lot of things that finale should do. The thing that I thought though is that like the whole season, when it's the last season, should kind of build towards the finale doing those things and in this case it was kind of like they looked at their watches and went oh it's the finale time to bring back all of our most beloved characters from the past and then they did it and it really should have been woven in more throughout the whole season if you know you're going to have a final season you have to build i mean in many ways it was like you know they were telling this one continuous story but in many ways it was like a serialized show in terms of like the finale just came like star trek the next generation like right like People forget that the episode before All Good Things, which is a masterful season finale, and that's even when they knew they were getting a movie five seconds later, mm-hmm. 
Right. The episode before was Sub Rosa, where Bev, where Doctor Crusher has sex with a ghost. One of the worst Star Trek shows of all time. The episode before, right? Like, but Next Generation was a purely episodic. Right. Show. Right. Like, I know the, the arcs were extremely light. It was like, but what I'm saying every is, twenty episodes, they'd be like, "Remember what happened to Worf last year?" Right. Now we're going to mention that again. <laughs> right. But like, but also, but it felt there was a there was a sense. What I'm trying to say is, there was a feeling throughout the season that this is the final mm-hmm. season. This is your last. Right. Ch- I mean, they're just great episodes. This is your last chance to see these guys together on TV. I just feel like Monel should have been brought in during the season, and yeah. You know, just at, and win. Uh, Superman should have been there. You know, to send. I mean, uh, the, well, Superman wasn't even there in the last episode. That was very annoying. It was right. Why? Why weren't close? Just you why could, wouldn't he have come to Alex's wedding? It's his like basically his his sort of like adopted step cousin. Yeah, yeah. I, like, uh, of course. I I mean, they could have CGI. They could have filmed. They're both in Vancouver. Okay, the lots are separate because of COVID. So film Clark and Lois in front of a green screen, waving in, in white chairs, right. looking, looking, you know, fondly at Melissa Benoist right. and then CGI them. And I, I know I, it should have yeah. all, having said that, like they did all the things they needed to do, like a final battle with the big bad. I actually didn't care about all that. I thought the final minutes were actually really nice. And I love that it's like, this is our last chance to get Jeremy Jordan and Melissa Benoist to sing. The only thing that was missing yes. was where was Barry? He should have- That was very cute. Barry should have done, yeah. joined in for the three-part harmony. He should have. <laughs> they would have been a very nice callback to their past musical uh, yeah. efforts. I, I, I love Melissa Benoist. I like that. The wedding was fine. I, I you know, I don't, I don't care about Jimmy's, James Olsen's sister. I'm happy for Alex, you know, that's a character I like. And I like the end that they did bring back Cat Grant because like in many ways, you know, she was Kara's anchor from the beginning. And if they hadn't paid that off, like I could almost forgive Superman and Lois not being there because they had actually Calista Flockhart come back for that, which does bookend the series. It was very important that she be there, and they did that very well. Like their, her scenes were really good. It's it was funny to me. I actually remember thinking, how is it that this? So the the biggest flaw of the whole season to me was that it felt like it was, um, you know, I don't know if you ever had to take a diversity training module at your job, <laughs> but like it was like being forced to sit through a, a diversity training. They were like, except that with like bizarre superhero language in it. So it was like, um, you know, people don't think enough about the disparate impact of fifth dimensional impetacts. Like <laughs> the, the, the people who are, you know, the most poor and forgotten are also the hardest hit by fifth dimensional impetacts. It's just like, you guys are really over the top of this. I know. Like, you know, I don't need this class. Like, I don't need to be in this class. I didn't sign up for it. Right. Like, I love when they already did this shit with Agent Liberty, right. Right? right? They had the whole thing. Like, don't do it again. And they got a lot of shit for it from, like, casual fans and even just fans who, like, were just like, I'm just trying to watch a superhero show. I liked that scene. Right. I mean, that season. Yeah, like, the Agent too. Liberty season was good to yeah. me. But so, so, so the problem was... You know who so, did not so like Agent Liberty? Dan Jurgens, he did not like oh, that really? they made his character that that guy. That fascist that thing. Or, yeah. Man, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it was basically like what they did on the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Right. Of course. With the replacement Captain America. Right. Whatever. Fine. Um, so to get back to my point though, the, the biggest flaw of the season coming out of that 
was that they made most of the characters sound the same as each other. So like half the time, it didn't matter if Alex or Kelly or Jean were speaking. The, the voice was the same. <laughs> and suddenly Cat Grant shows up and has her distinct voice of her, an actual character with a personality. And it made me, I turned to Carrie and I was like, how is this the same writers? Right. Like, it felt like she was being written by different Right, writers. it felt like Calista Flockhart was like, I'll, I'll handle this. I know the character, I'll write right, it. Yeah, maybe she ad-libbed the whole thing. I don't know. Right. But it just felt like it was like so much better. Like, suddenly I was watching a better show. Even though that was a great scene and a great way to finish it. And like, you know, it sort of felt like Kara's coming out party. Like, that's who Kara really should mm-hmm. be. Because, first of all, her two personas are ridiculous. Even more ridiculous than Clark Kent. I know the Clark glasses thing is an age-old joke and da-da-da-da. But, like, I've... Well, Supergirl and Kara look exactly the same. Kara Danvers. They're just, they, they have the same name. Like it. Okay. So it felt normal for her to just be who she is. Um, but does that not affect Clark secret identity? I don't know. Because Kara Danvers is in that, in that shows Clark's cousin. So, that, that was all pre-crisis, right? Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, right. So it, it, it sort of lends itself to this like theory, which gets more and more interesting that Superman and Lois actually is another Earth you know, or something mm-hmm. or another reality. Yeah. I mean, if they wanted to have Melissa Benoist guest star in the Superman and Lois, I think that would be great. And I think I she's mean, open to it. I think she said they asked her recently and she said she's open to good. it. So great. I would love to see her again. I'd love to see her be Supergirl again. Yeah. And they don't even have to go into they don't have they don't need to solve the fans' problems by establishing the exact correct relationship between the shows. Just have her show up. She's Supergirl, she's Superman's cousin. You don't need to like yeah. get into all of the stuff, right? right? If they don't want to. Well, it's kind of like Lucy. That, that would be fine with It's kind of like Lucy. Like it's a different character, but it's the same actor and it's well, it's not a different character. It's a different character personality and story-wise. But mm-hmm. and it works. It's fine. And you know, there's no questioning mm-hmm. it. So, yeah, that that's what I would like. I, I yeah, I would love to see Melissa Benoist with that more cinematic palette and Mm-hmm. effects i you know that would be that would be interesting i i'd love to see her show up on the farm and help uh, jordan train a little bit or something you mm-hmm. know all right so we have to talk about one thing we actually missed and i'm kicking myself i've been kicking myself all week that we missed it from last week and that was a line that christy beppo says she says to ali alston you mean how moses was chosen to spread the truth to the jewish people and, you know, my initial reaction was just, that's, that's weird. That's a little oversimplification slash, is it mildly offensive? Just based on the sort of very bland understanding of that. Basically, I feel like if you don't know what you're talking about, just don't make a reference. Right, right, right. Uh, like, I mean, it's offensive aesthetically yeah sort of offensive like it's religiously it's not offensive to jews it's It's offensive to fans of right right it's like what you know what seinfeld says to jerry says to the the priest i have a suspicion that he's converted to judaism purely for the jokes (laughs) Mm -hmm. and this offends you as a jewish person no it offends me as a comedian (laughs) right like it offends Mm -hmm. me as a tv watcher right like don't i know about that thing you're trying to say it's not correct so Mm -hmm. you know the idea of Moses being chosen 
is not quite accurate. It it's it, and and yes, the the you know the Jews historically have been referred to as the chosen people, and there are biblical uh, references to it. So if she's referring to that without actually saying it, that actually is a little pro- a little bit problematic. And Moses wasn't chosen to spread the truth to the Jewish people. First of all, there weren't Jewish people in the Bible. They're the Hebrew slaves, <laughs> the mm-hmm. children of Israel. And he was chosen to free them from slavery. Right. I mean, he um, leads them into the desert to Mount Sinai where they receive revelation. So if you wanted to be super, super generous, you could say that since he's the one who goes up and receives the revelation and then transmits it to them, he quote unquote spreads the truth to the Jewish people. But, um, also, it is it's not a Jewish really, term to call the right, Torah yeah. the truth. Like it's that, just very. It's a very. It was just. It was just. I, it just. It was a sentence that, if she took parts of the sentence and put them into other sentences, it would be fine. But it, it just was. It just didn't work. The problem was that it's the the context is that we're supposed to think it's negative that Ali Alston thinks of herself as chosen in this way. And so the the framing is that. Yeah. And then so the example, when it's brought up, you have to think of it in this negative light, which makes the individual things matter more. Like if some character just said that. So this is why, like, I'm not even giving the option, right, that Christy Beppo, the character, got this wrong. No, it's clearly the writers, right? Like in some other context where there was some more sophisticated characterization happening, we could say that maybe the character got that wrong and the writers did that on purpose. But in this case, no. that's pretty generous. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying that. Yeah. Uh, before we talk about the next episode, I just wanted to tell you, Sam, I don't know if you're aware of this. We have three reviews on Apple podcasts, which is very nice. And I just wanted to say um, thank you to those three people. I'm actually going to read them next week. I'm going to read our reviews next week. So teaser. So if you would like to leave us a rating and review when you subscribe to Superman and Lois and Pals, we will read it next week and you'll, you'll get your name, a shout out. So go ahead and give us a, a rating or review. But until then, let's talk about Superman and Lois season two, episode six, tried and true. Lois tells Clark that she and Chrissy plan to do a deeper dive into the inverse society. And Lana and Sarah try to comfort each other after the fallout at Sarah's quinceanera. Meanwhile, Jordan notices something suspicious in Jordan's book bag. Lastly, Lieutenant Mitch Anderson finds himself under fire for the deterioration of the Department of Defense's relationship with Superman. This uh, episode was directed by Amy Jo Johnson. Sam, do you know who Amy Jo Johnson is? Of course I know who Amy Jo Johnson is. Who is Amy Jo Johnson? She was the Pink Power Ranger, and later she was on Felicity, and since then she has done a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, she's done a bunch of stuff. She's a nerd. She's a friend of nerds. The Mighty Morphin Power Rangers were not my thing. They're a little after my time. I was like sort of, I think, out of middle school and maybe in high school when it started. You're a, a year or so younger than me. Were you a Power Rangers fan? No, it was still, it was too young for me to. Okay. It was was already uh, sort of 
past that. I was a Ninja Turtles kid. Yeah, same, same, same. I, I, I like how you kind of put those in the same genre. Well, like, you know, the kids who came after us, like Power Rangers right. and not Ninja Turtles because the cartoon show ended right. in like 1997 or something. So, right, right. Whatever, whatever right. that was. So uh, we love Amy Jo Johnson and it was written by Patrick Barton Leahy and Max Chronic. So Bizarro World to start off the, <laughs> the episode. Yeah, that was kind of cool. I and mean, then with the music. Yeah. The music really, really kind of made that sequence. And is Bizarro a cat guy because Clark is a dog guy? would seem that they're trying to say that cats and dogs are opposite <laughs> is that did you is that like you clocked when you mm-hmm. saw it okay and i think the cat the cat had some kind of superpower right it had heat vision or something i think it was supposed to be like streaky is the opposite of crypto kind of thing right yeah, yeah it was doing something with its eyes it was doing like freeze mm-hmm. breath eyes or something so and then bizarro looked like he was in fallout yeah right like it really looked like you were looking at some sort of completely wasted you know apocalyptic nowhere's land seemed to be a red Um, sun maybe which it seemed that way could be what powers him perhaps yeah i mean he did say later in the episode what we talked about last week that the yellow sun was weak right 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 i thought it was like that's sheer excuse for losing those fights but he seemed pretty strong to me but yeah he took it if he says so you have to you have to believe (laughs) right and did he breathe did he inhale kryptonite before he put on that suit, I have no clue what he inhaled. But it was green, so I, I'm just trying. Mm. I'm trying to point out all the op- possible op- opposite things, right? Like, right. It, it's possible that would you know regular kryptonite actually is like a fuelant is a <laughs> is a. There was a superpowered Lana Lang on Bizarro World who apparently worked for the Bizarro government. Yeah, had with a Kryptonian symbol. Uh huh. That was interesting. So you know we. One thing we sort of said casually, it, it was kind of in jest. We were joking, like, wouldn't it be fun if there was a Bizarro World that was square? Like, I, we weren't being serious, but they actually did show us Bizarro World, which is kind of a cool idea because traditionally there have been two concepts of Bizarro, that he's this imperfect clone that hangs out on Earth, whatever. And the other thing is that he also has a planet that he goes to or everything's backwards there, Right. But why it was Bizarro the only Bizarro yeah. in Bizarro world? <laughs> right, like Lana just looked like Lana. Right, right, and the picture of his family didn't look like Bizarro, a Bizarro family. They looked like nope, Lois and the boys. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. So I mean, we're not. So you know, I'm going to keep nitpicking at the things that are not opposite that should be. I have one. To me, it looked like. Well, I couldn't tell because I didn't go back and watch it. Was the Kent's house? reversed like was the porch on the same side as it is on, in smallville or was it reversed it was on the left side uh i don't know i did think the barn was on the other side okay okay i think that they did switch the position of the barn but i don't know if they actually inverted the house yeah all right so homework for uh for everyone out there and for us to go back and look did they what is the porch now on the other side yeah, I mean, what did you sort of like? I, I love when this show just off the top, right off the top, just gives us a bunch of answers to stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about that last week. It, that was really nice. No, not much Allie Alston other than about to get her head punched off in this right. in this episode. Someone says something about Allie and her bizarro self merging. So 
mm-hmm. was Bizarro in Bizarro World in that first scene punching Allie Alston's head off or her Bizarro counterpart? You know, that was. I think it was supposed to be Bizarro Allie Alston, but I could be wrong. So maybe the reason why Bizarro is messed up, like his skin, everything has nothing to do with his opposite nature. Maybe the inverse, the inverse world, because we got a little more about the inverse method, right? The inverse is referring to mm-hmm. the world. So maybe it's just, maybe he's he's like that for some other reason. Yeah, I, I think they'll tell us at some yeah, point. Yeah, right. I know we don't we don't speculate. I was just trying to to, to get some. Clarity. I don't. I don't think they'll leave that one unaddressed. Yeah, I gotta say, just shirtless Clark and pantsless mm-hmm. Lois. That's a thirst trap right there. I mean, I'm all for both of those. I like it. I like a good shirtless Clark, and I like a good pantsless Lois. So good. This show does not do compared to Lois and Clark. Do you remember how often Lois and Clark just like blatantly attempted to be a sexy show. Yeah, it was that was the it whole was like a huge part of their marketing yeah. and they just did it constantly like it's the 90s <laughs> yeah. we're sexy now and uh, I always thought that was kind of embarrassing even as a teenager. Oh yeah, it's, it um, was total even cringing. though obviously I thought Terry Hatcher was super hot. Right. Like this is still kind of embarrassing. Right, you know, they'd like accidentally be in each other's arms and she'd notice his muscles because he wasn't wearing a shirt right. you know like you know the, the and i'll never forget that first in the pilot which is a great pilot um you know she's in her apartment his crappy apartment looking through the cabinets it's all junk food and he, she says you eat like you're a teenager but you look like you're mr hard body or something like that you know because he, yeah, he came out that. of the show that was like a a tag that they used in the commercial for it but anyway all i'm saying is that like they both look great and having them be getting dressed in the morning is a totally appropriate way to show mom and dad clark and lois being shirtless and uh pantsless but also i liked it just say i mean they're a married couple and they have a lot of problems so it makes sense given the general way that hollywood presents marriage that they don't often like escape into sexy times but i actually think the show could do that a little more like give them a little more time to just have romance but you know they're kind of trying to be realistic with that i think and they they have the time that they have which is not much time they did it once last season it was adorable Mm -hmm. remember they had that starry date in the in the barn it was beautiful and and they were very sweet to each other i love just the little i love you and the peck on the cheek before going Mm -hmm. off to do the things they need to do like i i just yeah i mean that was a nice presentation of of you know marriage but yeah i wouldn't mind seeing uh a little you know love see appropriate cw love scene between bitsy talek and tyler hecklin That that would be nice so am i to understand in 20 years Sam Lane has never had a problem with Superman because that's a direct quote from that other general who outranked Mitch. And did, did she not watch the last season? He had lots of problems with Superman in the last 20 years. (laughs) Maybe he didn't um, write detailed reports. Right. Right. He kept it. He Um, kept it. I don't know. It was a more of a personal problem with him. Maybe. I don't know if you noticed, but that was um, general Hardcastle. They swapped genders and made her a she but in in the superman cartoon show general hardcastle is the one who leads 
Earth's forces against Superman when he gets brainwashed by Darkseid. And then he becomes a super anti, like, Superman character. And then they did this bizarre thing in Justice League Unlimited where he got assassinated by the conspiracy that was being investigated by the question. <laughs> um, you know, in like a like Jason Bourne type scene where he's living in this cabin in the middle of nowhere in the woods and he gets visited by Supergirl and Green Arrow. I don't know why I remember all this, by the way. But uh, Supergirl, Green Arrow, and um, the question come and they, they talk to him. And then like after they leave, you know, someone else knocks on the door and he's like, I already told you everything I know. And then he gets this. That's amazing. Okay, so much to unpack there. First of all, I love that you said, I don't know why I remember this. The whole premise of this show is that we remember all kinds of insane <laughs> Everything things, that ever happened, yeah. you know. But um, I didn't catch, I of course remember General Hardcastle from Superman the Animated Series and Justice League Unlimited, although I didn't remember that part, that one. I didn't catch that her name was Hardcastle. That's awesome. What a great, what a great little Easter egg there. Mm-hmm. I like that that the rest of the United States government doesn't agree with this prick. That like everyone else likes and trusts Superman, down to the parents of fallen soldiers, up to whoever outranks the head of the DOD. Well, so so here's my question though: Do you think that he actually got permission for that step that he took at the end of the episode, or did he? Because they showed him saying, "I need your permission for my strategy to get." you know, bizarre. And then he does this thing. But did he say that that's what he was going to do? Because it's hard for me to imagine that version of General Hardcastle giving him permission to take that. Action. No, he, he was interpreting what she was saying. I, I believe the term, maybe I'm thinking of a previous episode, but wasn't the term by any means necessary used by General Anderson at one point or Lieutenant Anderson, whatever. Didn't he... Didn't didn't she or didn't Hardcastle say like you should take down this creature by any means necessary? It's possible, right? Mm, yeah, yeah, but then they showed him like calling, right? He said, "I have to." He but he, he like got in touch with her and said, "I have an idea for how to capture the creature, but I need your permission." And then, oh, so you're back. wondering if then off off. You know, during the commercial, if off screen, mm-hmm. he then told her the plan and she gave permission. Right. My interpretation. It seems extreme, right? But like maybe she would agree that, oh, Superman is the one who did something extreme. And so mm. this is a justified measure. Because mm. to me, it seems like the amount of trust she had previously just displayed in Superman when she was chewing out Anderson makes it seem weird that you'd be like, oh, never mind. You're right. After all, you can red sun him and sedate him and put him in red sun prison. I think he was given an inch and he took a mile. I think it was, Uh I think that was, he knows what he has to do. He is believes in his convictions, but is that redundant? Believes in his convictions, (laughs) but (laughs) he is convicted. He is convicted in his convictions. Um, He, I think and and I think he like all he needed was a little permission to do, you know, he because he probably feels that like I have what it takes to do the hard thing that you people won't do and that Sam Lane never did, you know, Superman. It also seems like he that like Anderson is a little toddler hurt that Superman doesn't trust him. He's like, well, I don't trust you because you don't trust me, like <laughs> which is like a little I don't know, like a little. Um... 
Petulant. Pouty, petulant. Yeah, I mean, Superman trusts everyone until you give him a reason not to. That's what makes him Superman, especially in this world. So, and I I actually, and of course, I don't think he's right. I think Superman does trust Anderson under the right circumstances. Not anymore, but was... So one little gripe I have also, I don't think the fight where they took Superman down, obviously it was exactly the same as the Bizarro fight. It didn't seem reversed to me. Mm-hmm. So no, it seemed uh, exactly the exact same. Exactly the same. Like yeah. they just, they, Tyler had to do it once. They CGI'd the cape on <laughs> both times. And so, cause it was mostly in silhouette, right? Mm-hmm. I've heard other podcasts, do that particularly the superman and lois tapes who have mentioned us mm-hmm. for my friend michael bailey who i've mentioned a bunch of times he's been very he and bethany and allison from that uh, that show have been very complimentary of tyler as bizarro and i i've got to agree with them he th- they've, they've pointed out a few times the twitch he's got going as bizarro mm-hmm. is such a nice little touch and mm-hmm. this is not an easy thing to do he has to play evil version of himself and and make it as belie- not believable, but you know as I guess believable as as he can, and he's been doing a really great job with that. What have you thought of? Because we're you know we're really getting more and more of you know we had more way more Superman this week and way more Bizarro. What did you what do you think of Tyler, how Tyler's doing with all that? Um, I think he's doing a great job. He doesn't seem evil though. I mean. He's not. I understand that he's killing people and so on, and we don't agree with that because we take the side of Superman. Superman. But uh, he's not evil. He seems like he's just doing it, you know. So he's he's not evil. He's also they're writing a different version of Bizarro that's just smarter right. than Bizarro's we've had in the past. Right. Um, but I, I definitely think he's doing a good job of playing another character who's also the same character. Yeah. I'm going to throw a term out at you that I heard in this episode that I really enjoyed the fraternals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you like that? <laughs> what is that? Is that a reference to anything? I, I, th- sure. I assumed, I think it's a, I think it's a reference to the eternals because in the eternals, they reference Superman and that kind of became a thing. Okay. Did you see that movie? No, it wasn't good, but in it, they, the guy that like, shoots lasers out of his eyes and flies they somewhat like a kid says it's is that superman you know so like everyone freaked out because it's like oh the in superman exists in the mcu basically is what and so i that that's what they're referring back to but i love that name for that's wild yeah (laughs) i love it's a wild time man i love that name for jonathan and jordan's little team the fraternals superman and the fraternals i'd read the hell out of that comic yeah, it's very cute. Yeah, that was great. I mean, and by the way, what the hell kind of coach calls a kid's cell phone? That seemed so inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Is that I don't know. I don't know much about. I mean, I didn't play high school sports, but is that a thing? Do maybe that's a thing? I don't know. To me, a coach is a teacher, and so have like calling the quarterback on a cell seems inappropriate what did you did you catch that yeah you know i didn't think about it at the time but now that you mention it it is kind of weird <laughs> i love how clark was like dude you're starting tonight that's amazing that was so cute he's such a, he's such a enthusiastic dad you know he called him dude <laughs> yeah i like that part i mean 
they 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 are going further in the direction with Jonathan than we want, you know. That, that's yeah. a bit annoying. Yeah, I mean, I think I think this is not gonna I well, which parent do you think is gonna come down harder, Lois or 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 Clark when they when it all blows up in his face? Lois. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh yeah, it's it's gonna be rough. I mean it kind of seemed like Jonathan came to his senses for a little bit, you know, when he was like, this is, was not fulfilling. Maybe he's just going to turn things around. No, they're, they're, they got to build to a, a showdown with, with him and his parents. Right. I mean, that's, Mm -hmm. that's just, yeah. I don't think they can just have it be, uh, they can't just have it be nothing. Right. Right. Does Lucy know that, that Clark is Superman when they're all sitting around the table, Lucy's visiting. Was that mentioned in a previous episode? And cause they didn't, it feels like she d- doesn't know he's Superman. I agree. It seemed like she is on the Clark's a big dork. Yeah. Team. Yeah. And which is probably intentional given the, where Lucy's been the last five years, right? Like he, He's let's say he's been Superman for ten years, so it would be twenty years. Isn't that what the general said when she was chewing out? Oh, right, twenty years. Right, that's a long time to hold that secret. From well, I mean, Lois hasn't known it. Well, Lois has, has, I guess, known it a lot of that time. Mm -hmm. They've been they've been married long enough to have two fifteen year old boys. So they've been married at least fifteen years, unless they had their children not when they were married, which just for this couple in this show doesn't seem realistic, but it, it seems like Lucy doesn't know. And that's probably a good idea. They probably don't want her, the, the disciple of the villain knowing that Clark is Superman. Right. That seems important. I know they play it fast and loose with this, with this secret identity. You know, I did wonder how Lucy seemed when they were having their argument to be completely updated on all of the things that had happened in the last couple of episodes. And I kind of wanted to know who updated her and gave her all that information. <laughs> right. Like she know, knew that, that Lois was looking into her past story and, and she knew that Chrissy got drugged and then had that experience. So yeah. Allie could have just told her that part, but right. like, why would Allie say I drugged her and did that instead of just saying I showed Chrissy the other world and she had this great experience. Well, did she, I mean, was that, did, so did that not seem like news to Lucy when Lois said she drugged her? It didn't seem to me like Lucy was very surprised or shocked or anything by that. Uh Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe the way. Maybe Allie tells her that, but. I mean, maybe Lucy got drugged when she did it and because, you know, she saw what she saw that to her wasn't a negative experience. Like, you know, could be. Yeah. That makes sense. You know? So yeah. I mean, it's, it's sort of unclear what, I mean, not sort of, it's very unclear what, what Allie Alston is and who Allie Alston is. And if it's leading to something bigger, like I'm still just Mm -hmm. not sure. And part of it is something bigger. I think we can put a bet on that that there's someone else behind this or yes i'm willing to bet this one of her ancestors is like vandal savage or something or something, uh, something like that okay 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the problem with the CW the, the is that... The thing... Mm. I mean, okay, so they're probably not going to bring in any, like, Captain Marvel characters, but the pendant, in addition to Eclipsa that you mentioned last week, right. it also reminds me of the various Shazam-related characters. To what? I don't see that happening on this show. Right, and I just don't see to what Superman villain this is leading. And part of the problem is, and this was talked about during the years of Supergirl, like, a lot of the Superman villains have been taken, Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, remember I even speculated that Allie was the parasite because in the comics, Alexandra Alston is like parasite four or something, and the and Lois re- even referred to as a parasite, but it, I think it was just an Easter egg reference. Like she's not going to mm-hmm. become the parasite, and that wouldn't be a bigger villain than her, unless she's just a new villain. You think it's leading someone somewhere bigger? Okay. I mean, it doesn't have to necessarily do that but i do think they're not just gonna like i think that the plot with her and this whole other world thing it can only develop and get bigger right um and since she said that the thing had been in her family for so many generations i just feel like that has to come back somehow i i gotta give it up for emmanuel shikri now that they've given her something meaningful Mm -hmm. she's acting the hell out of this part I was not a fan early on, but although I'm like, you know, upset about this storyline because I like these characters, which is good. That's what this TV show is supposed to be doing. I, I, I'm just really enjoying her performance now. Like she's, mm-hmm. it feels like she's not just kind of standing around waiting for random stuff to happen. Like, right. Um, I do wonder where this is all going. Right. Um, maybe, you know, <laughs> They'll give me my completely random wish and Pete Ross will move back to town. <laughs> uh, whatever. But um, well, as you... long as they're doing it this way, um, you know, uh, she is certainly doing a great job at the part. I, I weirdly feel bad for Kyle now. Am I, am I supposed to? Is that what they wanted us to? Well, I mean, I know he's not a black and white character. Like he's, he's complex and their relationship is complex. They stack the deck a little bit because the affair doesn't happen since we've known him. Right. So for her, she can think back to the like two years ago when it was happening and be like all these times he whatever had to stay late at the firehouse or some bullshit that he said. But for us, we don't have that chance that you have as the viewer to develop your negative feelings about the character who's having an affair because you see them lying and you see them cheating. Right. So instead, we only known him as like a pretty good husband and father. And so then we're like, why should he be punished for this thing? That was so long ago. It wasn't that long ago, but we didn't see it. Right. right. So they, that's what I mean by stacking the deck. Right. Um, right. So, yeah, I think that you, that helps make him seem more sympathetic and, and makes you feel better. I, I liked how Lois, you know, we're, we're sort of nervous that they're going to go into like a Clark Lana similar thing romance thing you know mm-hmm. on the other side and we're like just please don't go there we talked about that last season i like that lois was like go help your friend you know mm-hmm. talk check in with your friend is it like it's kind of felt like clark was just sort of like oh yeah like he wouldn't have texted her a lot lois his darling mm-hmm. wife had it reminded him too but anyway i hope that doesn't like lead somewhere where now she's because she's single you know she's like ready to 
you know, go back to the guy she was with before she was 17. I, I hope that's not a thing. That's not where they're going. To with this I, I hope not. I, it doesn't seem like, you know, the more they, the more they give her stuff to do, the more rounded she is as a character, the less likely it seems that that would happen. Right. Yeah. Like this is a mother of two who is wounded and upset, but like, I don't think that she's going to suddenly, she hasn't displayed any like romantic feelings for Clark so far right. ever. Uh, and the, this version of the character doesn't seem to have them. So it's yeah. very different than other versions of Lana, right? Where she loves Clark Kent oh, and then he leaves her and when he leaves Smallville. But like, the Burn, Jurgens, Ordway, Stern, Simonson era, that which which we love so much, was brutal to Lana until yeah. she finally met Pete Ross. I mean, right. let's not forget she Clark tells her secret. Leaves her. She's it turns out she's a millennium robot all this time. Uh she's like it's kidnapped and tortured by Lex Luthor. Kidnapped and tortured in Superman number two, I think, or Superman yeah. number one. Like, um, I mean, she just takes a beating, and then she finally settles down with Pete Ross, who's loved her all these years, and then he gets into a a, a political scandal, paying off a judge or something like that. I mean, then didn't she eventually become Superwoman or something? In 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 uh, Rebirth, no Rebirth. No, actually, New Fifty Two. What they did was with her was actually one of the more interesting things of New Fifty Two. They made her, I believe, a scientist and a colleague, and perhaps even love interest with John Henry Irons. I don't know. I, I might. Okay. I might be misremembering the love interest colleague part, but. I think she was like a geological. Well, there's a single character that Lana could get with. Ooh. If they wanted to do that, they could do that. Ooh. Yeah. And that could develop stuff because, um, you know, Nat would be maybe annoyed that her father's dating again. And and that dating her friends. Like, I finally made a friend and you're dating Mm -hmm. her mom. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. I I now support this direction. (laughs) I've talked myself into it. (laughs) Great. Thank you for remembering that. New 52. That's what they're doing. I've decided. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. Well, poor Kyle. I mean, I just, I I shouldn't feel too bad for him, but I, I don't know. They they did that thing or they, they got me to like him and it turns out he's not a great guy, but he's kind of sad and pathetic. So <laughs> <laughs> he's a fireman, you know. So um yeah, this I would say overall And he can date yeah. Lucy. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Please. Lucy doesn't live in small Right. Uh I liked all the Lucy chilling with the boys stuff. It did feel like she was reading her lines about football. Like, mm-hmm. oh, are you gonna <laughs> Like you know, saying the various football-y things, it 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 felt like many phrases will be said now by me. Yeah, like I'm I'm a sports fan. I'm a I I was at one point an NFL fan. I don't follow it anymore, but I don't like if I talk like I watched the playoffs and the Super Bowl. I, I don't I wouldn't I don't talk about football that way. And I'm a knowledgeable sports fan. It's felt like she like. Like was she watching the NFL Network like five seconds before that? <laughs> you know? So, um, but it was still nice seeing her around. I wouldn't mind. I, I mean, I hope they do kind of keep her around. I don't know how many episodes she's um, contracted for, but it would be nice to 
have her around. I don't, I don't know. I, it is a challenge to explain why someone would live in Smallville, Kansas. Um, <laughs> yeah. Even Sam, I feel like he's too close. Like, where does he live? Does he live in Kansas City? Does he live in Topeka? Where is he coming from when he drives up to the farm? Right? Is he taking a private plane around? Does yeah. he live in like Washington? Like, what the hell is happening with him? Like, he's on the golf course. He's not. There's no golf courses in. I mean, they're sure there are in Kansas City, uh, but you know, Lawrence has a golf course. It's kind of small, but there is one. <laughs> okay, but I'm sure the KU golf team plays there. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I mean, the way they've portrayed Smallville, it is the smallest of small towns. It is lit. It is right. true to its name. It is a one horse town. <laughs> and by horse, there, I mean that basically. there. But like the, they made a good, they had a good setup at the very beginning of the show that explained why Lois and Clark were moving there. And they would not be able to do that for Lucy unless. The whole thing with Allie plays out in such a way that like all she wants is to be near her family. Or they need to deprogram her or something. You know, right, she needs yeah. to spend time. They actually need to spend time with her. Um, right. It, yeah. I, I don't know what else that actor is doing, but, uh, you know, I mean, you can't have so many characters. We've already got the, the, the irons is living, mm-hmm. living on the farm. But I mean, to me, she looks and acts also like Lois. Like I could have seen her play Lois. Yeah. In, I bet like, she tried out for it. Version. Oh no, she wouldn't have. She wouldn't have because she was already Lucy at that point. But yeah, I could see her. Was she Lucy laying on Supergirl before they introduced Lois laying on Supergirl? (sighs) So they introduced Lois. So they introduced Superman and Lois before. What was the one before Crisis? What was the. I don't know. They had those like the crossovers with the different shows you mean? Was it season three? Was it as far back as season three that they introduced? Superman and Lois into Supergirl. Oh no, I gotta go back and watch it again. Maybe just those episodes. Those episodes are really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. This was a, so as much as like I, I, you know, I was so excited last week because it was back after a hiatus, and I just thought that was an all around like a plus episode. Um, I didn't get the same feeling from this one, but I've no, I don't, other than the little funny things we've nitpicked, I don't have any gripes about it. Like this series is moving along fine. This is, you know, in one way, it's my favorite show on TV because it's Superman, but it's, it's, there's, you know, so many good shows on TV now. It's, I mean, certainly it's my favorite show on broadcast TV, not, you know, not on a streaming site, but, um, yeah, I mean, you know, did you enjoy it overall? Was this a good episode for you? Yeah, it was kind of a bummer. That's probably why you don't feel so psyched. Like a lot of bummerish stuff happening. Right. But I think it was a good episode. It was done well. All the actors did a great job. Um, all the storylines moved a little bit. So yeah, uh, we didn't get any John Henry or Nat this week, and I missed them again. Oh yeah, and was there even? A, did they even bother with an explanation this week, or they're just like this we're... week? They didn't even do that. <laughs> We're just we're just assuming she's still in the hospital at his bedside. Yeah. Like Lois but, didn't even make know, any muffins this week. You if know, he's, if Superman is in prison, then John Henry will need to come out and do yeah. stuff. Right. So, or Nat, or Nat will need to suit up. Right. Or Nat. Right. Oh, um, Bitsy Talak tweeted and Facebook and Instagrams, whatever. The cutest thing, the scene last week where everyone where everyone was trying to take the muffins and she's like no those are for nat to bring you know the mm-hmm. boys take the last two and clark's kind of like oh 
and Lois brings out this perfect muffin in a even in a wrapping for him. And he was just like, you know, he gave her that look like, thanks, hon. Like that was Bitsy. She the the script called for her to for Clark to not get the last one and everyone mm-hmm. to get one except for him and him to be like, oh, and it was supposed to be like, and Bitsy said in, like on the day of the shoot or something that like it just felt a little mean to Clark. And so I pushed for him having his own muffin. I mean, come on, does she get these characters or what? Yeah, it's very cute. That is adorable. <laughs> yeah, that's very cute. I just I love her so much. It does make me feel though, you know, I'm gonna gripe because this is my job. Lay it on me. Griper. The version of the characters that we're getting, precisely because they're living in Smallville, um, is very different from the classic, right? So mm-hmm. if they're living in Metropolis and Lois is working at the Daily Planet, she's not making she muffins. Does not make <laughs> no. muffins. No. She doesn't make extra muffins. No. She doesn't make normal muffins. She goes to work and then she goes to like fly around the world to do super dangerous right. journalism. So you know, I do wonder whether there shouldn't be a little more of that personality-wise, even though she's in this new situation. She's you know? working on one story. <laughs> yeah, it's just like no. I, I think I think I think Sam. If you know, thinking about you know the married version of Lois and Clark that you know I've known for almost thirty years, or maybe thirty years, whatever that version is in small in Metropolis she would do something sweet for him in that way. Mm-hmm. Whether it's, you know, to make sure he's not like a mean moment wouldn't happen for him. Right, That's right, right, the, right. the way she was written post John Byrne, specifically with Clark in a relationship with Clark, like they, she was nice to him. Very, right. very nice. And so they would find a way to do it. But I hear what you're saying, right? Like Lois, the fact that Lois Lane has time to make muffins, I mean, in many right. ways, that's the inverse method, right? Like, it's just, right. you know, and that's, and that's cool. Like, that's, you know, obviously, I would love to see Metropolis. And it's sort of, you know, in many ways, frustrating to not get to see the Superman and Lois show and uh, where they're on the streets of Metropolis. But also, we've never seen this before. And this is cool. It's, it's, yeah, I love seeing Lois Lane have time to bake muffins and to give one to Clarkie. Mm-hmm. So, it, it is different. I mean, that, that I actually think, you know, although for you, maybe it was a gripe, if I could spin it positive, like it's, this is a different thing that we're seeing, which mm-hmm. is, which is good. We we've seen a lot, you know, Superman's been around for 80 years. It's hard to do something new with him. And that's why I think a lot of writers either like, don't do, don't write him or try to do something subversive. That's, just automatically dark and there are Mm -hmm. ways to do things that are different for superman that aren't necessarily he's going to snap someone's neck you know and this you know this is one of them lois lane is big has time to bake muffins and be a good mom you know i wonder when they have shows though why they don't get comic book writers to do to do episodes like why not give grant morrison an episode of this show Right, like it would be weird, right? But like it would be interesting. Well, it Jeff Loeb, be... Jeff Loeb is a TV guy now. He has been that's true for the last 15, 20 years. So like, and that started when he started on Smallville, and then did all the Marvel stuff. So, you know, um, you know, they give TV writers, you know, Kevin Smith has written exactly. It goes, comic, the, other it goes the other way. Yeah, 
I want to see Mark Wade right right of the show. Right. Like, right. Well, I mean, so Louise Simonson. There, there is show. precedent for it, right? Like Marv Wolfman wrote a bulk of the Ruby Spears Superman from the 80s, which had the burn storyline in it. And I believe has written other things like Brave and the Bold Batman. Like, I believe there are comic writers that write animated stuff. But yes, could like Mark Wade, who is such a great writer and loves Superman, could he write an episode of Lois and Clark? That would be cool. I don't know. Maybe they, these guys can't read TV. I can't imagine that. It's the same. Doesn't seem likely, you know? Yeah. All right. Well, I'll let you have your gripe. I won't. I won't do the inverse. Thank you. I won't do the inverse method of yuck my yums. I'll let you yuck your yuck your yucks. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Henry. I yeah. appreciate it. No problem. Anything else about episode six? Don't think so. Great. All right. Well, then I'll see you next time, Sam. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Take care. Thanks for listening. Our theme was composed and performed by Sam Bernstein. You can tweet us at Superman Pals Pod. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss another thrilling adventure of Superman and Lois and Pals.